Okay, we are changing gears a little bit here, and we're going to keep working through the book of James. All right, if everyone can get their Bibles out or their phones with, your, with the scriptures on it, whatever way you like to read the Bible, we're going to continue on. So, our series is called Pressure Points. Uh, the book of James, again, we've talked about how it's very practical. It talks about the very practical parts of our life, of what happens when I'm suffering, how do I respond to it? What happens when people, uh, what we're going to look at today is when people don't, people show favoritism. It's a very practical thing when someone comes in and we kind of exclude them. Uh, these are very practical life lessons for us. So we're going to read starting from James 1, verse 27, and then we're going to continue to chapter 2, verse 13. So make sure I have the right spot here says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is religion that God our Father uh, looks at as pure and faultless. And this is, this is largely what we're going to be focusing on today, is our posture of looking after orphans and widows. We've talked a lot about that second half of that verse, about uh, keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world and living new, a new way of life, uh, repenting of our sin and turning and following Christ. But today we're going to focus on the first half there. We'll continue on. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes in to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. What would be the equivalent of that today? Wearing a Gucci shirt? I don't know, what's the style these days? Something expensive. And a poor, man in, a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? This is definitely true. It's often people who are poor, who don't have much, who are very rich in their faith. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you, are, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm glad Andy's on the ball following, following along there. So I've called my message this morning, The Father's Heart for the Humble. After reading this, maybe you can have a guess at why I called it that. The Father's heart for the humble. God's heart for the humble. 
So here in this passage, James reminds us of something that I think is actually way more important than we often think it is. Something that's way more important than we think. That we serve a God who cares deeply for those who are suffering, for those who are poor, and for those who are experiencing injustice. I don't think this is just a side characteristic of God or just a side thing that as a church we need to just, uh, maybe we'll have a, a couple ministries that look after those folks. I think this is, this is central to who God is, that he is compassionate. It flows out of his compassion. There's a phrase that's repeated nine times in the Old Testament. Does anyone know what it is? If you did that, I'd be impressed. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Compassion is just part of who God is. It's part of his heart. And if we're not operating in ways that are compassionate towards people who are in need, we're not operating from the heart of God. So this is really, really important for us. And I, I think, isn't this such a beautiful thing about the God we serve? That he is compassionate, that he loves those who, who other people don't love? That's something I love about Jesus. That's something I love about the Father, is that his heart is for those, for the underdog. His heart's for the underdog. All throughout scripture, everyone God picked, well, almost everyone, seemed to be an underdog. Someone who's like, really, God, you're going to pick that person? Look at all the things they did. Uh, that's God's heart. He, he is a heart for the underdog. And what I love about Jesus, too, is he didn't just come and show compassion to the poor and humble. He became poor and humble to identify with us, to identify with those who are in need. He actually humbled himself. God himself humbled himself and became poor and humble. Such a beautiful picture of the God we serve. I love this about God. So this passage this morning speaks to a few different things about us as believers. It speaks to our status. It speaks to our heart, what our heart should be, and it speaks to what our lifestyle should be. Remember, James is very practical. He, he wants us to walk the walk. So our status. Let's keep going here. Oh, Andy's on it. I'll just let you do those. Our status. James is reminding us that we are all God's children. Isn't he? He's saying, don't show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism, so we shouldn't show favoritism. Because as a status, as believers, we are all loved equally by God. We are all loved equally by God. He doesn't show favor to us. Sometimes it may seem like God actually favors the poor and the humble because he spent, Jesus came and spent so much time with them, didn't he? But I don't think it's because he, he thinks they're extra special. It's just that Jesus came to lift up, to, to balance the scales of injustice. Those who had lived... Um, horrible lives, he came to lift them up. And those who were high up, who were honored, he came to lower, just to balance the scales of injustice. I think about my kids. Uh, there are some moments when some of my kids are a little bit better behaved than others. You've probably noticed. You've probably noticed every Sunday morning, actually. And uh, this is just around nap time, so people start to get a little bit teary. 
Uh, some of my kids are better behaved than others. Some of them are a little more skilled in certain areas than others. Uh, Micah, I tried to get him to vacuum the house and he didn't really, didn't really, he's not pulling his weight. Let me just say that. Just kind of sits there all day. Micah's my newborn for those of you who think I'm being rude. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't pull his weight. Um, but when I look at my kids, I recognize that they all have different they're all in different stages of development. And I give them different responsibilities because they're at different stages. It's not because I love some of them more than others. Uh, it's because I recognize they're all at different stages. And God looks upon all of us in the same way. He looks upon all of us with the same love, even though he gives us different roles and different responsibilities. So he loves us all equally. He doesn't show favoritism. We're all on the same playing field. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21 to 27, Paul talks about the body of Christ, using that image, the body of Christ. We are all members of the body of Christ. And so he, he, um, we are all members, even those of us who are just baby toes, the pinky toe, even those of us who are nose hairs. Sorry, that's a weird image. Even those of us who are ear hairs, I don't know, sorry, this is going to be hard to get out of your mind, but you'll remember it. I know you'll remember it. Even those of us who seem to be, who feel insignificant, we are essential to the body of Christ. We are essential. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, even the nose hairs. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. This is what I've been talking about here, that there's those who, who are humble are treated with special modesty in the body of Christ. Jesus went to those who were humble and treated them with special modesty to lift them up. He cared deeply for them. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part of us suffers, all of us suffer with it. If one part of us is honored, every part of us rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So that's Paul speaking to our status. We are all, if we follow Christ, we are all loved by him. We're not, we're all on the same playing field. So for those of us who, for some of us who may be a little bit less honorable, I'm not going to say any names. There's some of us who may, maybe we feel like we're less honorable. We don't deserve God's love, but we all deserve God's love. He cares for each one of us. And so, if you haven't noticed, this is kind of an upside-down way of looking at the world, isn't it? We, the world doesn't work like this. If someone comes in the room, imagine Justin Bieber walked in the room. <laughs> who? Oh, sorry. What would, well, who would be someone that you guys would, <laughs> a famous person you guys would like? Throw out a name, come on. Elvis. Elvis. If he walked in, that would be shocking. <laughs> Elvis is here. <laughs> Resurrection power. Uh, if 
say, okay, Elvis walks in the room. Wouldn't we all naturally feel like, oh, I want to go talk to him. I want to spend time with him. I want to ask him some questions. No, some of us would. Most of us would, I think. <laughs> we have a natural uh, disposition towards wanting those in power, drawing towards people who are powerful, who have money, who have status. Jesus is saying, do the opposite. See those people who have no friends, the people who are weird. We all know people who are weird. Some of us are weirdos. Go to the people who are weird, who have no friends, who, who are not loved. He, those are the people he's calling us to. Go and see those people. Go raise them up. This is an upside-down way of looking at the world. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we have to live as if it is. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I don't care how many degrees you have, how much status you have, how much power you have. When you come to Jesus, you're going to be kneeling beside everyone else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So this is our status. We are all loved by God. And we're called to be a part of this kind of upside-down way of thinking. This passage also speaks to what our hearts should be like. I always like to talk about the heart because everything flows out of the heart. All that we do flows out of the heart. So James is very clear saying, you know how God doesn't show favoritism, right? I want you to do the same thing. He says, find God's heart and then you do the same thing. Don't show favoritism either. Uh, we can see from the whole, from all of the scriptures in the Old Testament too, that God had a heart of compassion, like I was saying before. God has a heart of compassion towards the poor, towards the widow, towards the orphan. This is just language that is all throughout the scriptures. God is totally concerned for their well-being. In Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 10, God is talking to Israel and he's giving them his law. And he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. I love that conclusion. He says, you should provide for those people who are poor because I'm your God. That's, you're following me. I'm your leader. This is the heart I have, and I want you to have the same heart as me. I'm the Lord your God. Again, this is all throughout the Old Testament. Proverbs 21, verse 13, I want to also mention because it's, um, it's something that's very striking. God says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Doesn't that feel, that's, that's a weighty statement of scripture. That's heavy. God's saying, if you close your ear to the cry of the poor, he will not answer when we cry out. That's big. That's a big deal. Isn't that a strong statement from God? So, Again, I, wanna, I want us to really understand that this, this heart for the poor, this heart of compassion, is central to who God is, and it should be central to who we are as a church, too. It should be central. It shouldn't just be a side ministry that we do. If we want to see our ministries grow at Trinity, if, and if we want to see God bless the things that we're doing, we have to have this same heart, a heart for the humble, those who are poor, those who are unloved and uncared for. 
I think it's very easy as a church, as any organization, to run yourself like a business. There's so many churches that are just being run like businesses. We're trying to make money. We're trying to bring as many people in the doors as we can. We're trying to appeal to the cool kids. Like, we want to look cool. We want to sound cool. Uh, again, that's not, that's not what the church is about. We're not a business. We are a, a family of people who are, are welcoming people in. We're not trying to look cool. We're trying to in, go find those people who are not cool to invite them in, like I said. That's why you guys are here. Someone found you and said, you're not cool. Come to church. <laughs> Isn't it? No, you guys are all cool. I think you guys are cool. That's the upside-down way of looking at the world. It's the upside-down way of doing ministry that we are invited into. God, is, God flips things upside-down, so we need to. He wants us to go out and have a heart of compassion towards people. Okay, James doesn't stop there. He says, our lifestyle is affected by this. The way we live. I imagine James going to these guys and saying, guys, don't show favoritism. And of course, everyone goes, yeah, of course, I'm not going to show favoritism. And he says, okay, well, you know those people who are coming in the church who are, who are dressed all raggedy. Those are the people I'm talking about. Don't, you should actually serve them and invite them to your table. And I imagine them saying, oh, I didn't know you. I, I didn't know you were talking about them. I don't really want to invite that person in my house. It's kind of uncomfortable. No, God wants us to not just feel things, but to act on it, to, to live a life of compassion. He wants the church to be marked by radical love and what I like to call ridiculous generosity. That's the only word that I can think of that describes the way the early church was generous. It was quite ridiculous by our standards. I mean, if you think about how the early church worked, um, if you read in the book of Acts, People were just selling stuff to give to the poor. They were selling all their stuff. Like, I can imagine if someone came in today and said, I can't, I'm really struggling to pay my bills. And then if one of us said, yeah, well, I have a, an investment property. Why don't I just sell it and you can have some money from it? Like, we would all be like, whoa, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> That's big. That's bold. That's, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's so profound that it's, it's, it's so big that it's, it's ridiculous by our standards. Um, but in the kingdom of God, we're invited into a, a ridiculous generosity towards one another. God, we serve the God who has everything at his disposable, uh, disposal. He has everything. He has all the wealth of the world. He can bless us with whatever he wants to bless us with. And so, why do we get so stingy and so like, I'm not sure I want to give my Starbucks money to this person. I'm not sure I want to give my, my $2 to this person who's asked me. Let's just have hands that flow money. Flow them in my direction, okay? No, <laughs> no let's be generous with people. Let's have hearts that, that are just willing and wanting to give. Finding people and saying, who can I give to? I want to be like the Father. I want to give to people. I want to bless them. I want to have that heart of compassion. Let's, let's aim to be people like that and to actually do it. That's what God's inviting us into. God is so generous with us. 
He gave us his one and only son. He's so generous with us. And he's inviting us into generosity as well. So our status, we are equals in the body of Christ. Our heart, God wants us to have a heart like he does for compassion. And our, our lifestyle, our actions, God wants us to live out compassion towards those in our community in Waterloo who are suffering, who need help. And I think this is an area we can grow in as a church. I, think, I don't know exactly what ways God wants us to serve our community, but this is something we can grow in. Uh, finding people who are unloved, uncared for, who are in need, and, and supporting them and serving them. And it's not just about giving stuff, giving money. It's not just about that. It's about spending time with people, loving people. That's the biggest thing you can give someone in life, is your time, your love. That's the most important thing that you can give away. Mother Teresa obviously had a lot of experience with serving the poor. And she said this, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy or COVID. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It's not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. This is so true. I've seen so many people who don't have anything, who are, who are living in poverty, and it means so much to them when you just spend time with them and treat them as a human being. Say, how are you? How's your day going? <laughs> That's the biggest thing you can give, give someone, is just your time and, and your love and say, is there any ways I can serve you? Anything, any ways I can and love you? So what are you doing today to serve others? What are you doing today to serve others? How are you spending yourself to serve others? I like to use the word spending because love costs us. Love really costs us. If you're really loving someone, it takes energy. It takes time. It takes money. It takes effort, doesn't it? When we, when we really love someone, it, we're giving ourselves. We're spending ourselves for that person. We've made love too easy. We've made love that feeling of, of joy and that excitement when you just meet someone and you like them. That's not love. Love is sacrificially giving of yourself for someone else. I want to give a shout out today to our, our coffee and hospitality team and the people who help out on soup Sundays and, and do all this stuff behind the scenes that takes a lot of work. It's a lot of work to wash the dishes. It's not fun. I don't like it. <laughs> Maybe some of you do. It's not fun. It takes effort. It takes time. After a big event, usually we're all tired and we want to go crash. And then these people come and they continue to serve until the job is done. That is love. That is service. So how are you serving others? How are you loving others? I invite you today into a life marked by the radical generosity of God. May God make us a people with eyes that sees like he does. May he give us hearts that, that feel like he does, feel compassion like he does, 
and may he lead us into a life of a lifestyle of compassion and love for those in need. Let me close in prayer. And since we're getting a little bit later on time, maybe we won't do our last closing song, if that's okay. And then but let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this awesome day today of uh, baptisms, of excitement, of new life in Christ, and all the good things you're doing in our midst. Lord, we're so excited. We love you, God. We serve you, Jesus. Lord, we give all glory and honor to you, Jesus. We give all glory and honor to your name. Lord, we love who you are. We love that you're a God of compassion. We love that you're a God that cheers for the underdog, that was willing to rescue each one of us out of darkness and draw us into your kingdom. We bless your name, Lord. We praise your name, Jesus. Lord, I just want to honor your name. I want to say that your kingdom is, is so exciting to be a part of. Lord, your name is so worthy to be praised. Lord, we love you, God. We love you and we serve you. Help us to be a people that are generous like you, Lord. Would you take away our greed, our selfishness, our selfish motivations, and help us to serve one another like you served us? God, we can all use help in this. Would you pour out your generosity on us by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.